With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. These guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's flagrant howls. Judge, do you have, do you have a flag? I, I, you I, know, I, I, hold on. I think I, I got, have a flag. I do have a towel somewhere here, yeah, but I'll I was say. not told oh. by the, you know, oh. I blame Declan. You should have told me to bring can, the can towel. You look up. That up. Can you look if I have that towel? Can you go look that up? <laughs> can you look it up for me? Oh, there, there it is. is. Okay, there ready? Is. Okay. okay, here we go. go Get ahead. the flag. Let's go! Wolves in four! Wolves in four! Wait. Oh, here's what I got for you. It's not here's what I got yet, for but... you. Here's what I got for you. The ant bobblehead. Dude. There does that ant bobblehead, uh, does that ant bobblehead launch, launch clutch baskets at the end of regulation and overtime against mm. the best team in the NBA? You know, that's what I want to know. More clutch than... That guy. Sam Cassell was coaching for the Celtics, and there might have been a uh, Sam Cassell dance in row uh, six where I was in 212 after a big shot was made by somebody on oh, the show. Oh, yes. Oh, I hope you didn't hurt yourself, though. Nope, the hips were good. Yep. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't I hope you didn't hurt your groin. Or groin. I was all right. I was all right there. Yeah, was it a groin or a hip? I think it was I think it was a groin for Sam. Was it, okay. Or was it a hip? No, it was a hip. I thought it was, sure. a it was a hip. Oh, I, yeah, I thought I thought it had something to do with the groin, but they described it as a hip because they didn't want to put it. It's yes. all kind of connected. But I'm there. glad that Declan was dancing upstairs with the masses. Yeah. yeah. So we were, we were all there last night. By the way, we're going to hit you with uh, two episodes of Flagrant House today. The three of us, Phil, Judd, Declan, were all in the arena last night. Our guy Kyle Taggy was battling... Uh, a little food poisoning last night. He was Jordan. grinding through it. It was his. It was his IV. His IV game. But uh, we're gonna try and we're gonna try and get Kyle up from uh, his food poisoning nap to do a second episode later today to get his thoughts. But holy cow, that was. I do have six six observations from last night as Judd and I were sitting elbow to elbow with the luminaries like Alex Rodriguez and. Justin Jefferson, <laughs> the last Jordan Addison, as far away TJ from those people Hawkinson. as they could get us. Yeah, we were uh, we were not close. A Rod had like four layers of security between us and him, which is probably for the best. But wow, that was fun last night. Yeah, what's weird about it is so Glenn and Becky Taylor, as always, were, were courtside by the, the Wolves bench, and as far as I can tell, Glenn's got one security guy, and A Rod's got like a team. So I guess yeah, I ran into that security guy twice last night. Let's just say that Glenn and I were on the same bladder schedule. The first I walked into the bathroom, I was like, why is there a security guard just standing here awkwardly? Like, oh, I'm I'm about to uh, have some awkward small talk for 60 seconds. No, you know what it is? It's security for you because of all your cousins. hate. they finally assigned you a security guard. They're worried 
Uh, so, so Dex, here's my question. Up in 221, mm-hmm. what was that like? Because from where Phil and I were, it was electric and great. But I'm curious. Rocking. I'm curious from the belly of the beast up there what that was like. It was cool. Um, the, I, I will say there, there was actually a healthy amount of Celtics fans. We were sitting next to two of them um, mm. in our row, and there was a decent amount of green there. But in general, I mean, it was an electric place. They, and, like, just smart fans. Like, nothing drives me more nuts when I am in, you know, with, with the common folk, and there's just dumb fans. Wow. These people are it's not. It's a very elitist comment. That you it's not even elitist. No, I just, like, I, I, I can't stand stupidity just around me. I can't. And and Wolves fans. Why do you great. hang out with us every day then? That's a great question. Maybe because the paycheck. I'm not sure. Maybe but, you can look um, that up for us. Why you? Yeah, do I can. I'll, I'll I'll go check on that. I'll go in the memory bank and figure figure out why I'm doing this. I'll, I'll consult with my therapist on that one. Um, but I, I it was awesome. The 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 crowd was was into it. Um, you know, I didn't love the, and the fans didn't love this. Like the refs were just blowing whistles like crazy. Like you got two juggernauts going at it. Let them play ball, man. Just like let them play. You got your star players are getting into foul trouble. I know that didn't really phase Anthony Edwards, which was awesome to see. But the the fan experience up there was was awesome, and a lot of score North fans too, which was cool to see. A lot of score fans. Yeah. Lot of it score was uh, it was just it. You know, we had Judd. You brought this up on our Royce Unchained episode, but we've had sort of glimpses of this atmosphere throughout the last couple of years. I think we had ten years where the atmosphere was not like this very often. Popped up a little bit in the Kevin Love, Ricky Ricky Rubio brought some energy to the arena and Kevin Love for a while. But, you know, this is now this is now the what the third consecutive year of at least competitive basketball. So this is the first time since Kevin Garnett that we've had now a sustainable run of it's a low bar, right? We're not talking about like the Celtics competing for championships or the heat or whatever. The bar here is can you be a 500 team or slightly above? and win some big games, and, and they are now at least regularly for three years hitting that, and the fans are paying it back in that arena. It, mm-hmm. it, it does feel like, I don't know, I guess it, it feels like a high IQ, but also sort of blue-collar crowd that's just, even on a Monday or a Tuesday night, that's just ready to rock. And <laughs> But dare I stereotype, I think what you just said is accurate, which is I, I think blue-collar hardcore sports fans are the smartest fans like the white collar elitists often go to be seen. Like, I feel like that crowd is into, into it. And I want to say it really came back. So the first time in like the last 15 years that I've seen a wolves crowd where, where I was like, wow, was um, game 82 against the nuggets, which was just electric and the wolves won. And then the, um, the play in game against the Clippers, I believe it was, right? A couple of mm-hmm. years back, we sort of got, got that. Um, I feel like in the last two years now, though, the regular season crowd, like now, is really popping. It's a but party, I, yeah. I think it's a blue-collar crowd. I think it's a great crowd. And and you know what, damn it? The basketball fans in this town, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, they deserve this. Like, the Gophers have been terrible now for how long? But the Wolves are... The Wolves have not been terrible of late, but you want consistency? And like what and and here's the thing too that I thought made last night fun. It wasn't a pretty game, but the Wolves defense, they worked their asses off. And like I think the crowd appreciates that. And it's cool yes. when sports fans it's cool when sports fans appreciate the not nuance, but like the workmanlike effort of that team. I think, yeah, that's the thing. Like so 
I mean, Nas Reed gets the biggest ovation and he does a little bit of everything. Probably, probably a little bit more of an offensive player than a defensive player. But, you know, I think some of the little things that Jade McDaniels does when the when the when the crowd starts to see Jade McDaniels is on Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter. Here we go. Shot clocks at eight. Like people get jacked to watch Jade McDaniels play defense on the opposing team's best player. Mm-hmm. People. One of the one of the biggest pops of the night was the 24 second violation. Right. It's like like. I think the t- the team is fully leaning into and embracing the defensive identity that they have to play with if that starting lineup is going to work, you know, because you're not you're not going to fly around, you're not going to be the the team that gets up and down the court with that lineup the fastest or the best. So like you you have to play great half court defense, and it seems like they're all leaning into it more. They all understand sort of how to play with each other more. Rudy Gobert seems like he's more spry and healthy, and that brings me to my first observation here: six Wolves observations. And you guys were there last night, too, so feel free to add as much color as you want. But observation number one, we've seen the Wolves at their best probably three straight games. I mean, that Utah game was kind of a bloodbath, but but specifically the game last week against Denver and then the game last night against Boston. And I don't even know, like last night, that felt like the Wolves B-minus or B-plus game. That was not their A game. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, who we'll talk about, was a train wreck. Yes, absolutely. so, so, but my my observation is the Wolves at their best, I think, are one of the top five or six teams in the NBA. And the question is, how often can they sustain and replicate their best or something close to their best? Because we're seeing it like when they're when they're not even at their best, they're beating Boston, they're right. beating they're beating the Nuggets and holding a double digit lead for two and a half hours. Right. But I thought last night and. I agree. The Wolves were definitely not at their best, but I thought last night though was um, a maturity win. I thought last night, like aside from Cat, everybody else, if they didn't get off to a good start, in my opinion, did something or contributed. Mike Conley did not have a great night, but he hit a huge three. Um, and and the overall defensive effort, like that's maturity. That's accepting. Okay, how can we win? And, and, you know, Boston came in what as the top offensive team in the entire league. The Wolves, small sample size, came in as the top defensive team. But I think it was in the third quarter, Phil, I turned to you and, and I said, Boston can't hit a shot. Like, they, they look terrible. And to your credit, you, you said, yeah, but the defense is damn good. And you were exactly right. They like, weren't hitting, they were, the, yeah, they weren't getting a bunch of wide open looks that they're just clanking. And yeah. Gobert played a role, and McDaniels played a role. And you know what? To his credit, Ant played a role. Ant, Ant for a star player, plays a lot of, uh, and I mean this in a good way, dirty basketball, gritty basketball. Like, mm-hmm. he's willing to get in, in there and work. And so, yes, Boston did not have, Boston shooting from the field was not good, but that's because of the Wolves' Maturity, and I think you're right as far as this. The question becomes, and th- this is the question all sports, but how often are you willing to replicate that type of performance? Because what they did was not simple. Like, that took a lot of work. So if you're going to come back and do that time and time again, but if you are, you're going to win a, a lot of basketball games. And dare I say, that sort of felt like a playoff game because oh, yeah. I I think oh, yeah. that yeah. effort is what you need in the playoffs where it does get mucky and well, dirty and, and grimy. And they gave, they gave you that effort for the most part. Game one was kind of a train wreck against Denver last year, but that's why like what, what you saw last night, even, even if it was their B minus or, or B game, the Timberwolves, 
that's what they gave you in four of those games in the playoffs against Denver. And that's why Denver, after a two-month playoff run where they win the title, reflected back and said, you know who actually gave us the best series? Probably the Timberwolves. They've kind of carried over what they, they unlocked some stuff late in that season and in that playoff series. And outside of the second half against Atlanta, they have, and I guess the first game in parts, they did play pretty good defense against Toronto. But the last three or four games, we've seen a carryover from that Denver series. Uh, on the defensive side, a couple quick stats for you guys before we get to another one. Per 100 possessions, the Timberwolves have the best defense in the NBA by a mile. So I think their defensive net rating per 100 is like 100.5, and the next team is like 104 and a half. And then uh, I love this stat. The Wolves have allowed the fewest made layups so far in the NBA. Now, they, I think they've played a, a game less than some other teams, but... Gobert, though. Just make Gobert, the difference down. Yep, and just generally having a lineup where you've got Gobert, who's seven feet. Towns is, Towns is not the defender that Gobert is, but he's leaning into defense more. He was grabbing rebounds last night. Yeah. And then Jade McDaniels plays like a seven-footer. And uh, Anthony Edwards is is clampy and can get a hand in your face too. So, you know, they just it's they're they're a big team. It's hard to go through the trees when they have these guys out at any given time. They almost always have either two seven footers or a seven footer and Nas Reed and Jade McDaniels and Kyle Anderson's a big guy who can play power forward. And uh, teams are having a really hard time getting layups. Not I think it's and I think it's really difficult to like go in night in and night out and play like the level of defense they're playing. I know they are, which is awesome. And it sometimes maybe doesn't translate to like the prettiest of games, which is obviously what we saw last night. Like the Wolves didn't necessarily offensively have their best game. And it felt like at times during that game, like I look up at the scoreboard, like, are the Celtics up ten? No. The Wolves are within yeah. two. Or the Wolves are tied. It's like, oh, this yep. game feels mm-hmm. like Boston is up big and it's not. And can you replicate that success? I think night in and night out. I think that's what I'm curious to see yep okay observation number two i think we witnessed one of the best performances of anthony edwards career last night i don't want to be a prisoner of the moment too much here but um you know 38 points he's grabbing rebounds he's finding open teammates he kicked one to the corner late to jade mcdaniels who cashed a three he found mike conley on it i mean he's He's understanding the new the nuance of being a playmaker off of being a dominant offensive performer. He also played the final 13 minutes of that game with yeah. five fouls and dominated, literally took over the game offensively and even sometimes defensively. So I think the biggest thing that stands out to me, and it's it's been six games, so we got, we got to see this continue to play out. But, you know, last year he was still putting up these just, there was 22 games last year where he shot below 40% from the field in a game. And a lot of those, it was below 30%. The four for 17s, the five for 20s, you know, those type of games where, all right, you might be getting your 20 points, but super inefficient. You're only going to get a certain amount of shots in an NBA game, and you're using 20 of them to make four or five, right? He only has one game so far this year of under 40% shooting. His efficiency is through the roof compared to the first few years of his career. We'll see if he can continue forward. And then, like, just outside of the box score, you you guys saw it last night. He's pumping his teammates up. He knows that, okay, Carl is up in his feelings, so I'm going to move from my spot on the bench, go sit by Carl, put my arm around him, pump him up. Jade McDaniels is off to a bad start. I want him to keep keep shooting. I'm going to keep feeding you the ball. He's, he goes over to Jade McDaniels during a timeout, right? Like, he's he's 22, and he already understands some of these inherent, like, 
leadership and and human qualities that you need to really be the leader of a basketball team. It's it's fun to watch. If there's one good thing, um, and it's the only potential positive about Carl taking such a back seat, it's that Ant clearly has ascended to being the captain. There's no question about it. Like he leads this team, and I, I actually thought perhaps the most on, most important on the court play for a guy who scored 38 freaking points was the aggressiveness and tying up the basketball in overtime for the jump ball and make no mistake. That was aggressive. Like he wasn't trying to tie the ball up. He was basically trying to rip the ball away and easily could have been called for a foul, which, which would have fouled him out of the game. But I think the officials are cognizant of the, the, the fact that he is a star player. I think cat gets called for a ton of fouls one because his body control sucks, but two, because the yeah. officials don't respect him. And and I think he, th- he plays like he's a star and the officials are like, no, you're not. Here's a foul. And here's another foul. But I thought what ant did on that tie up and then to win the jump ball was to me just sort of like, because, because it shows it's one thing to be a star player and score a ton of points and, and shove the box score full of great stats. That's, that's great. It's another to show that you will work as hard as a Jaden McDaniels does. And I think that's where you see it. And, and you're like, Oh, okay. I get this. And then to your point, Jaden gets off to a terrible start. He's still working his ass off too. He doesn't give up, but he gets off to a terrible start. Finally makes a shot. And Ant is at center court immediately He's saying, yeah, this is what we can do. And I love the post game quote when, when asked about Jaden's terrible start. And uh, I think it was, John Krasinski from The Athletic said to Ant, but you kept feeding him the ball. And Ant said, yeah, because when I get off to a bad start, they keep feeding me the ball. I just, I look around. Yeah. I, but I love how it's, I love how there's no drama there. I love how he gets it. And I love the fact that he really has ascended now to the unquestioned captain of this team. There was two things I noticed early. I've obviously he gets off to the hot start. I think he scored like eight of their first 10 points. But even before he picked up even like his third or fourth foul, I, I said to my buddies, like, you can tell he's going to want to take over this game. And there was so many moments like that where he's playing with five fouls now and he's driving and he's driving Jason Tatum nuts and he's driving uh, Jalen Brown nuts. Was it when he sized him up uh, when the inbound of the ball and Ant's waiting, the ball's on the court and there's like this little cat and mouse game mm-hmm. and the crowd gets picked up like, those little things that Ant that does to, to get underneath the skin of opposing star players. Like Ant, we've all known Ant likes the spotlight, but he like thrives in it too. It's not just the fact he likes the limelight. Like he wants these moments and it's awesome to see him just infuriate opposing other star players too. That yeah. was a funny play because the, the shot clock doesn't start until you touch the ball, but the game clock was, so they, they, wait, they wound up winding like 25 seconds of game clock or something as Ant just like stood over the ball, the ball was just rolling. And, and finally, I think it was Jalen Brown came over and he's like, okay, I need to force action or they're just going to like, they have the lead. So you're just going to let him sit there. Kind of a weird quirk in the NBA's uh, clock system. So observation number three is, is about Jaden McDaniels that we may be seeing a more mature version of Jaden McDaniels than the guy who punched the wall and cost his team, maybe a series against Denver. I don't know if they win that series. If he plays, but they probably get it to a sixth or a seventh game. Those were tightly contested games. And Nas was out too. So Nas was out. They as well. definitely missed two huge players. Yep. But he overcame just an atrocious shooting first half 
mm-hmm. and uh, and put the clamps on defensively in the second half, some big buckets. So just we've already kind of talked about Jay McDaniels, but to overcome a bad first half. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Observation number four, the stars were out last night. It was, a, it was a testament to how fun that atmosphere can be when the Wolves are winning. They're playing one of the best teams in the NBA. The Celtics are in town. And you had Alex Rodriguez wearing like a $20,000 suit. And uh, Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson were all courtside. I don't know if there was any other local. I thought there was for a moment they might trot Josh Dobbs out there and blow the whole roof off Target Center. But he's probably, you know, knees Busy deep in his playbook pages at home. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was, a, yeah, no, that, that was, the whole thing was fun. The whole thing was like, was fun. You, you know, on Unchained, Pat said that game was three hours, right? It didn't seem like it. Like that was, there was never a moment where I, I thought this game is getting boring, which is impressive too, because it was a gritty game. It was not a sexy game. Um, now, but to but to your point, both of you about Ant. So here's the thing, and it it's, goes beyond Ant. It's a Wolves thing, too. Like, okay, Celtics, Monday night, packed house. Dax is right. Like, you could tell Ant's like, this is my game, right? Now, I think the question in an 82-game season is this. When you play the Portlands, right? I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying it's going to be as intense or he ha- has to be as dominant as he was. But I think the next step is this. Can you stay engaged enough to win those games to look like, you know what, if there has to be a dagger, that's me too. And I think he can, but like, that's sort of the, I think the next step of, of wolves, not just ant maturity. Like, can you take what you did on Monday night and do that to a team that's not as sexy? It might be on the road and there might be, I don't know, 10,000 people there, but that will be to me, a huge sign of progress because that's the one thing that we probably or not, not probably that we didn't see last season. If, if they can blow the doors off bad teams, like, yep. like they should. Yep. I'm just going through like last year's, I mean, it's a, it's a 50 win team. If they can blow the doors off bad teams, like they should. And I'm going through last year's standings, for instance. So against below 500 teams, the wolves were 17 and 18. Yeah. The Memphis Grizzlies were 27 and eight against below 500 teams. You can still lose some games to below 500 teams. You know, Uh, the Sacramento Kings were 26 and eight against below 500 teams. So those teams were 10 games better than the Wolves just against below 500 teams. And they finished six and nine games above the Wolves in the standing. So again, if, the Wolves were better against the best teams in the NBA than the teams at the top of not counting De- Denver was Denver was like uh, 29 and 18 against above 500 teams. The Wolves were 25 and 22. That was the second best record in the Western Conference against winning teams. So it it is just like a maturity. We know they can do this against the Bostons and the Nuggets, at least hold their own and kind of play those games 50-50, right? right. So I agree. I'm, 
I'm definitely interested in watching how they perform. They've got the Pelicans coming up. They've got back-to-back against Golden State. They've got a, a feisty San Antonio team with Wemby. Um, but what is going to happen when they start to play more of the bottom feeders? Are they just going to blow a 15-point lead? So that mm-hmm. that's part of the maturity process. Uh, observation number five, Rudy Gobert should do more darkness retreats. <laughs> I don't know what happened inside that Aaron Rodgers dark cabin situation. You might not want to know. Who knows? But uh, whatever whatever he came to terms with in that dark room for three days, four days is working because he has the best defensive rating in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns is actually top five as well. I think some of it's by association. You play a lot of minutes next to Rudy and everyone's defensive rating is going to be better. But uh, despite going two for 11 from the free throw line, which was problematic, he was just a force in the paint. And he's a huge reason why the Wolves have given up the fewest amount of layups of any defense in the NBA. And he's out there, he's defending Porzingis out, you know, 12 feet, 15, 18 feet from the basket, roaming around. And uh, we're just, we're finally seeing the guy that we thought they were trading for from Utah. And I don't know if it was just like the knees, if it was new setting, new teammates, but he just looks and feels entirely different than he did a year ago. And uh, the results are showing on the court. And you, and you certainly don't, you know, you can't get the two for 11, whatever he was from, from the free throw line yesterday. And that was rough. And look, I get why opposing teams are probably looking to hack him more than anyone else on the wolves when, when, when they're on the court, but he does look so much more engaged and just so much more of a fit. And I mean, his defensive prowess, again, like you can live to a degree, you can live with a rough night at the charity strike. If he is contributing with all these great defensive plays and he just, the thing I think I've noticed, I went to a few games as a fan last year too. This year, he just seems so much more energetic. He's getting fired up and he's flexing and he's, he's showing a lot more emotion Mm -hmm. where clearly like, Hey, he gets traded. He was in Utah for a long time. And he's you know starting to starting to get uh, fitted here in the right spots, but this year it just seems like yes, to your point, the darkness retreat. I don't know what he did in the offseason. That uh, what else he did riding camels in Abu Dhabi for God's sakes. It he helps, just seems clearly. like he just seems like a much more personable and much more comfortable human. I think it's two things. I think it's comfort, which, which is I mean, this guy spent his entire career before here in one place, Utah, and so like he that was uh, he knew everything there and here you come into a different building different teammates um i also think that that despite the fact that he did play a little bit um off-season basketball tournament basketball if you guys recall a year ago that was a way more intense like he was that team france thing was way a a year ago Mm -hmm. was more intense and he got banged up um i think he's fresh now i think he's just fresh and look i mean I'm sorry, but when you're a man that size, if you're worn down, I don't think you just bounce back. Like Ant, Ant clearly benefited from from his experience. In in fact, I, I think it has probably helped get him off to the start that that he is. And that's why I said I thought that his team USA experience would be good, and I think it has been. But if a guy like Gobert gets worn down, I don't know that you come back from from that. And he just appears to to be fresh. Um, he appears to be far more able to engage and look he is probably even with the bad night at the free throw line this is probably exactly what they traded for right a guy that can muck things up a guy that it makes you defensively instantly better just by his presence 
Um, but I, but I really believe that part of this is he looks like to me, like he's healthy, like he's fresh, like he is now prepared to play. And last season at this time, he looked worn down to me. The chemistry between him and Anthony Edwards is also so much better than it was a year ago. And I'm just looking at some of the, like the lineup combinations and some of the, the metrics. It's a fun exercise as you get more sample size too. So we've had a lot of guys, just two man tandems that have played 80, 90, a hundred minutes together on the court. So we're starting to see a picture of like, who's working really well together. And uh, this year so far, Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert on the court together have mm-hmm. played 160 minutes. They're a plus 13 points per 100 possessions when they play wow. together, which is awesome. And that's not even one of the top five pairings so far this year. Can you guys tell me the number one pairing just off the top of your heads? Like which two players have produced the best net rating per 100 possessions when they're paired together? Conley and Gobert is my guess. Nas and Ant. Conley Gobert is sixth. Nas and Ant is number one. Look at All Declan. Right. What a great nice basketball mind. Basketball. Put me in target center. Nas, Nas and Anthony Edwards have played 84 yeah, minutes well. together. They are a plus 29 points per 100 possessions. Yeah. Now, Carl, I will say Carl and Anthony Carl. Edwards are also a plus, but not nearly what Anthony and Gobert and Anthony and Nas are. They're a plus nine per 100. Part of that's because Carl's not making any shots yet. You and want to I do hope, Carl conversation right now? Because I have I him hope, as the last. And I hope that your next observation is this. They need to stop being afraid to take Carl out of games and put Nas in. So here is the final, the sixth and final observation. We'll do the Carl conversation here. All right. The observation is just he he just maddeningly continues to struggle with the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Yeah. You see Anthony Edwards starting to squash out some of the inefficiencies, starting to find open. He's evolving as a player in front of us. Jaden McDaniels evolving as a player in front of us, right? Nas Reed adding layers to his game. Gobert has taken a step. He took a step back last year. Now he's taken a step back forward to where he was. But Carl, when it comes to fouls, emotions, and consistency on offense, it's just the same, dude. Like last night, <clears throat> excuse me, three fouls in the first seven minutes on the court. Just kind of a classic, all right, Carl's played himself up. Before he scores a point, he's played himself off the court with three fouls. He had 13 combined fouls and turnovers last night, only seven points. Emotions. How many times did you see we're sitting sort of across from the Wolves bench, right, where he gets subbed out of a game. He feels like he got screwed on a foul call or something, and he storms up the ramp, right? And he's just like, he's grabbing his head, and he's grabbing his shorts, and he's, you know, and teammates, you know it's bad when Jaden McDaniels, who punched a wall, broke his hand, and missed the playoff series last year. Like, he's one of the more, when we talk about maturity, like, dude, you got to settle down. Jaden McDaniels, in the middle of possessions, is going up to Cat last night. Like, it's a live ball, and he's like, dude, Calm down, man. Well, like, we got to go play defense here. Jaden's filled with basketball rage, which I love. Carl's filled with basketball pout, which I despise. Like, Jaden plays. The reason why Jaden defensively is so so good is there is a fire simmering in that man's belly that doesn't go out. And at times it expresses itself in very poor ways. But, you know, Carl's not that. Carl's a powder. Yeah. But let's talk about so so look Carl's Carl ain't changing. We've talked about Carl on the show since he he got here and he's been a marvelous player at times, but he ain't changing, okay? So honest to god, at what point in time do the kid gloves come off? Cuz I'm to the point now of 
not looking at Carl, because I know who he is, looking at the team, which is Finch, but it goes obviously because it's going to get political beyond Chris Finch. And, you know, last night I turned to you on press row, Phil, and I said, why don't they put Nas Reed in? Nas Reed works his ass off. Uh, Nas Reed never pouts. Nas Reed, in my opinion, is a positive winning player. And when things are going bad for Carl, he's a losing player. Um, when are they? And, and I know, I know the answer is Carl's well-paid Carl's Carl, blah, blah, blah. But when are they going to just pull, you know, pull the trigger on, you know what? We're trying to win basketball games here. And if Carl's going great, that's awesome. But if Carl, I mean, last night, it that game was begging for Nas Reed, begging for him to be in. But if you look, this is what's to your point. This is the crossroads they're sitting at. Yep. And before before I say this, I will I will also I will go to bat for Towns a little bit. And that do I think he's going to shoot? He's currently shooting twenty three percent from three. It's yeah. a six game sample. He's a forty percent three point shooter. So he's he's going to start making some more threes. We're kind of seeing the worst of him right now. The fact that they're winning these games and Carl's playing like one of the worst six game stretches to start a season that he's ever played. We're going to get a better version of Carl. But even as we do, he's averaging 32 minutes a night. Nas Reed's averaging 23 minutes a night. There's So Carl's getting nine more minutes a night than Nas. And this is the elephant in the room. Again, it's a six game sample, but the eye test kind of matches this. Player efficiency rating. Nas Reed is currently ninth in the NBA among all big men, all centers, and all power forwards. Mm-hmm. By the way, LeBron James is classified as a power forward in these rankings, so he's tied with LeBron James in player efficiency rating right now. Okay. Win shares per 48, just another sort of all-encompassing analytical measurement. Nas Reed is ninth among all players in the NBA in win shares per 48. The eye test... The analytics, everything is screaming. This dude is even better than he was when they signed him to the contract extension. And he fits so well into the fabric of what they're doing. I saw our guy, Dane Moore, from the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Check it out. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. He's a friend of the show. Great guy. And he said, you got to find a path. to." We've been talking about like 20 or 25 minutes. He goes, you got to find a path to 30 minutes for Nas. And the only way, there's two ways you find a path for, well, three ways for 30 minutes, Nas. An injury which you're hoping doesn't happen, play three big men on the court at the same time, which they've done for a minute or two, but like not super ideal. Or mm-hmm. you start to take away minutes from one of the starting big men and you give those minutes to Nas Reed. And I'm not taking Rudy's minutes away. No, but last so... night, so so I'm with you. You know what? Eventually, Carl will probably be fine. He'll start to shoot. Like, like we know he can shoot, okay? so So yes, I'm not even making my statement as a grand statement of this is what I want to see for the next five plus months. I'm saying last night with the way that Nas was playing and Carl was playing, you're playing the Celtics. You, that is a huge win. I don't care who is on the floor and who's not. If you win the building erupts, which it did, uh, you, you got your star in ant. So small sample size, let's shrink this thing down. And my question is, why wouldn't you have put Nas Reed in last night in overtime? I mean, what they did in overtime worked really well. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question their. I mean, and Cat was out like with a minute. Well, Cat finally right, fouled so, out, so, but I'm saying late. I, I guess late in the game, 
and into OT before. Cat you're saying why not? You're, you're saying it's less about like the lineup combinations they had at the end clearly won the game. You're saying, yeah, why have Cat on the court instead of Nas when you know Cat's having a terrible night? Yeah, man, it's I don't know. Organi- I think organizationally, I still feel like they're very set in. Carl is above Nas. He makes more money than Nas. He's older yeah. than Nas. He's and been that's... like a team centerpiece. I feel like they view it as a, especially the way that Carl sort of, I think Carl feels a little bit lost in this whole thing. I don't, yeah, it's not my, yeah, I, I know. I'm just explaining it to you. And so I know. organizationally, it's a bigger decision to say, hey, in the second week of the season, we're going to start in key moments of the game. Nas is going to be taking over for Carl Anthony Towns. He's, I think he's a better player right now. So I'm not yes. even fighting. I'm just explaining like it's a, I think it's a bigger organizational discussion. And the minute you start to do that, now you start to erode his trade value. Like, it's possible that they've come to the decision behind the scenes. All right. We're going to trade him. But until we do, we can't completely cut the value in half, like, from where it already is. Like, there's... I hear you. It's bigger. It's a bigger decision. I just... Last night, to me, struck me as one game in in which it's, you know, it played out as a huge game. It was a great game. And you had a chance, and people... And, like... Nas is to to use, I believe, the word that you just did. He is the fa- he's like one of the fabric. He's in the fabric of this team. Mm-hmm. Like you saw, how many of those players? Uh, two for uh, Dex. How many of those players did you see? And it's like this team is like gelled so so well. And then it's like Carl on the wing, arms extended. Mm-hmm. It's feet, a different vibe. He's like playing in a different band way. almost. Yeah, yes. he's like even like his offense. You know, he's. It kind of feels like now sometimes, you know, Anthony Edwards will try to shoehorn shots out of context and stuff, but they've got something working here offensively in a game. And then all of a sudden it's now, okay, we're going to pause what we're doing. And now it's Carl's turn to drive into three defenders and trying. It almost feels like they stop everything to try and get. So why can't they, why can't he, and why can't they find ways to make it work just within the flow? And if they can't, then Mm -hmm. it's all, it's all pointing to, a trade at some point. So, and if he can't hit the open threes just as a bystander, which yeah. he will at some point, mm-hmm. right? Then it just okay. becomes even more glaring because now it's like, all right, he can't, he can't drive without getting called for a foul, and a lot of that's his fault. And I that's know you thing. guys, you guys were closer to like the action, and and I was looking upon like the benches were facing me from my vantage point. But when he fouled out, and I know you guys were just talking about this too, but like he walks up the tunnel and he's almost like doing a woosa, like he's trying yes. to like. Yeah, calm. Like he literally fouled out. He goes up the tunnel and he's literally, yep. you know, doing this. The you know, find your center kind of situation as like a yogi. He's trying to like do that. Um, and I just I don't really get sometimes when a veteran player of that stature and a guy who's been in a league like Cat is not young. Cat is not a young player anymore. He's not raw. He's he's not inexperienced, and he's just still kind of kicking himself for his own yeah. faults. What's I think and I, I do see some of the like when people come out and kind of defend him. I see sort of the what is he the only player in the league that's not allowed to be emotional like every player complains about fouls. It's not. Yes, every player, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, like everyone complains about fouls. I think there's a difference in the way he goes about it. And I think. It would be one thing if once in a while he just accepted, yep, that was a foul. Or if he would get back on defense more regularly, right? It it feels like he takes it to the extreme and he lets his emotions then affect yes. the next play and then the play after that. 
It's not that he's the only player complaining. It's this tsunami of emotions and then the way it impacts the rest of his game. Exactly. He's also, so he's committed, I think, like the first or second most fouls in the NBA the last five years. Do you think, because I think, I think he thinks that that's because he's getting a bad whistle and he's getting screwed more than other players, which I don't know if I buy that. I'm, I'm with Judd. I think his body control and the way that he, He'll latch a guy's arm. I don't even know if he's doing doing it on purpose, but he's just like contorting himself and flailing and stuff. But let's say for a second that he's right, that he gets a worse whistle than your average, you know, third team all NBA or from a couple years ago. How these are human beings who are refereeing these games. How is he helping to turn that tide and change that trend? The way that he reacts to the officiating. Like your your goal, your goal is to not get called for as many fouls, right? is flailing and Im- trying to embarrass the referee and squealing on literally every yeah. single time there's either a non-call in your mind or a call. Like, how is that going to change another human being's perception of you taking contact? Like, that's what I wanted. Sit well, him down and be like, dude, there's a psychological aspect to this that you're not going about the right way. <laughs> you know? But it's too late. It's too late. I'm sure they've tried. Like, that's the thing is, at his age now, he ain't changing. So what can you do to change things? You, and, can, you, you can trade him. <laughs> well, or, or, or here's the thing. Like, last night, you sit him, you bring Nas in, so he gets pissed off. Well, he's already pissed off. He's, so he pouts. He's already pouting. Yeah. So, like, that, so like yeah. what, what is he, like, if we didn't have a solution, if if the solution was bringing a slappy off the bench to replace Towns, I could say, yeah, that's crazy. Why? But we, but the Wolves literally have a guy who's a solution sitting kind, there. Kind of though, because here's another factor here. If you, we're, I think we're only thinking about let's put Nas in that role that Cats in. So we would we're going to reduce Cats minutes to by five or ten or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're going to do this, but and then Nas is going to be elevated. Well, that probably leads to Cat really wanting out and now so you're you're really what you're doing is you're confronting at some point moving him out entirely i don't think i don't think there's much of a demotion step here i think it's either all or nothing and then you got to figure out what are you getting back in that trade or do you have got is leonard miller the second round pick who's wildly talented is he ready to come in and give you quality minutes right away in a year in which you're trying to win 48 50 games so it's it's a very delicate situation that they're dealing with I don't disagree, but I thought last night would have been an ideal test case. And it doesn't mean that the next game, the next game may, you know what? Best case, Carl gets pissed and starts to play well. You know, great. That would be, you know, it's just, I think what drives me nuts is the kid gloves. He doesn't deserve them anymore. You're not a child, but you're acting like one. So like, what can you, you know what? I'm sure you've been sat down and talked to by everybody from back in the day to now. So, you know, like last night would have been the ideal time. And again, that doesn't mean it has to translate to the Pelicans game. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that last night you were having a terrible night. There's a guy who comes off the bench who's right now better than you, who would have been a solution. And so, you know what? Worst, very worst case, if you had done that today, Finch and Cat meet. Okay, that's good. They should meet. They should talk about that. I just, I just, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Lose the kid clothes. One, one more thought on this, and then we'll we'll say goodbye on this largely celebratory episode of Flagrant Hollows because the well, Wolves yeah, last night. I don't like the way Cat's behavior represents the team or the city. 
I hate when he's constantly complaining. I hate when he's not getting back on defense because he's busy complaining about a foul that he thought he should have gotten. I hate when he's gaslighting and when he does commit a foul and he complains and then you see the replay and the entire arena sees, oh yeah, you did hack him on the arm. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then like, it's, it's this sort of, it's this gaslighting animated behavior that it's not the culture that they're trying to build. And um, right. it's uh, it just, it doesn't feel congruent, I guess. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, Flagrant House, your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast. Wolves are four and two. Last night. They're You're beating right. some of the best teams in the NBA. Go to Target it's a, Center. It's a blast. We got the in-season tournament coming up for the Wolves. I think it's the San Antonio game. Oh, God. T- tell me the Target Center court's not not going to look like uh Oh, it will. LSD. It's it going to be glorious, dude. It will. Yep. Stop yelling Green, at clouds, what? boomer. Yeah. No, no, those courts are off. The the kids agree with me. A lot of the kids don't like these courts. Oh yeah, yes. The kids. We'll see. Let's do it. We'll do a poll when we see the court. I think you know what? I think we should. People are gonna like it. But it, I might like the court. I don't know yet. The Bucks court was fine. I'm excited. We the we Wolves hang a banner by the way. If the Wolves win that tournament, we hang a damn banner inside Target Center. A hundred percent. Yeah, I got no problem with that. that's fine. I don't hate the tournament, so I'm not going to badmouth the tournament. I don't like the courts. I think the tournament is actually, I'm fine with it. The season's too long, so I like sticking something in different. We'll put put some seasoning in there. Uh, We will hit you. I just got a text from Kyle. He's he's hydrating. This is going to be his Michael Jordan flu game here today. He has sent me some talkers. Lucky day for you guys. You're going to get two episodes of Flagrant Howls, your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast.